this year the legislation changed to basically say you have to have it now. And that's where you can get tripped up with the legislation. Welcome to the RKMS podcast. I'm Josh Keane and today's episode is going to be our business compliance and looking at basically what the companies need to look at themselves to be compliant with legislation and regulations. With me today, we've got Rebecca Hugo and we've got John Keane. Okay, so jumping into our first question, what does good compliance look like? Oh, good compliance. If, if you look at legislation in general, it, it's a bit of a minefield. Health and safety legislation isn't too bad, and you normally get a bit of a warning that it's coming in, into place. Environmental legislation is a different bag. I think in the last few years, apart from the COVID years, we normally introduce about 240 items of environmental legislation to the statutory books each year. So you, it's quite easy to be caught out in terms of uh, not meeting your regulatory and statutory compliance requirements through the fact of not being aware of them. But as, as you know, ignorance of the law is no defence. What do we do for clients to mitigate that? What what we do is we can do a, a legal compliance audit. So we keep abreast of uh, the latest changes in legislation. We subscribe to a number of channels that we pay for and they tell us about updates. What we also do is part of our ISA Smart product we have a legal compliance register which lists all the legislation and then the client has the opportunity to review that or he can do it with a consultant we can we can work together identify is that legislation applicable to what we do because it might not be so for instance there may be environmental legislation that talking about greenhouse gas emissions for instance but it could be fluorinated greenhouse gases which is uh, air conditioning so if you don't have air conditioning in your premises you don't need to comply with that however the flip side of that is you might have fridges and freezers in there which has fluorinated gases, so you need to make sure you're aware of that as well. And there are different thresholds on the amount of gas that you've got, how you control it. And what we can do is we can actually go in and do an audit and advise the customer on that, on, on compliance. So I suppose um, another area to look at as well is maybe not so much directly legislation, but it might be health and safety, for instance. The health and safety executive have a bunch of guidelines that obviously there's, there's legislation, obviously, which is around health and safety, but it's how do you apply that in certain areas of your business so like fire risk assessments for instance now every company has to have a fire risk assessment documented it used to be five or more if you employ five or more people whereas this year the legislation changed to basically say you have to have it now yeah uh the the, the law did change in in october 23 and it basically said from then on that the responsible person for a building for instance even if it's uh, if you've only got two employees, you need to have a documented fire risk assessment. You need to look at what the, the risks are in that building of the, of the fire occurring, but not only that, the means of escape and evacuation, uh, that is safe enough. But also, if you're a building within a building, for instance, so say you're hiring, you're renting, should I say, a room in the back of an office block, you've got to cooperate with everybody else to get out of that building. So it's no good if you go through a room, through a room to get into your office. If somebody locks the door and you can't escape, you have to cooperate with them and be able to escape through there. Other things, for instance, you're quite right. It used to be a certain number of people. However, it is, it's it's one person now in a building. If you're responsible for that building, then you need to have a fire risk assessment. It needs to be documented and it needs to be done by a competent person as well. So you can't just say, you know, maybe it's the cleaner. Cleaner came in and did the fire risk assessment. It's got to be somebody who's got a level of, of competence to do that fire risk assessment. And that, again, would depend on the nature and scale of operations in the building. It could be something quite simple, like an online fire risk assessment training course for somebody. If they're just looking at one 
office space, if you will. But if you've got a skyscraper, yeah, loads of different routes, loads of different things that can interact and cause a fire, then you need to do somebody who's got a bit more competence in fire risk assessment. So if you was a new business, or maybe not so much a new business, it could be an established one, what would you say are the key things to look at in terms of compliance and, and how do we fit into that? How can we support? Yeah, I mean, you've got... There's obviously business legislation as well, so you need to sort of like, you know, register with companies' hands and things like that. There's the BAT side of things and, and what have you. We, we don't tend to uh, specialise or work with that legislation. We, we tend to look at sort of health and safety requirements. So, for instance, we would go into a company and, and look at how many staff we've got, the nature of what we do, and we'd look at, say, uh, what the requirements are for first aid. So, HSE have got guidelines which tell us, well, tell anybody, what they're sort of after in terms of levels of risk when it comes to first aid training. Could you elaborate a bit more onto that? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, it's not always as clear-cut as, as, as you think because what the HSC will say is that if you're a low risk and then you've got to be, you're responsible for defining what is low mm. risk. It does give you some examples. But say you're an office that people are on the ground floor, they work in there, they go in there, they're working on a desk and then they leave. They might go out for lunch. So in terms of the risk is minimal. So therefore, it may be just simply having an appointed person. So an appointed person is a person that has the responsibility of ringing an ambulance and coordinating the emergency services if somebody becomes ill. The next stage from that really would be an emergency first aider, uh, which is emergency first aider work, which is a one-day course, and it does do that. It's emergency basic life support. It's basic information. Again, you, you know, the, the first aider would be the person that normally completes the accident report and stuff. If... The business is a little bit more complicated. Say it's, it's a higher risk business, it might be in construction or manufacturing engineering or something like that. Then what you need to do that is probably do the, uh, it used to be a three-day course, which is first day of work course. We actually deliver that as a three-day blended learning course where you do some work off-site, you, do a, you fill in the information, it asks you about certain things, you do a bit of learning, and then it's a two-day on-site, uh, first day that it covers using AED, defibrillator, uh, and basic life support. Uh, that changes all the time depending on what the HSE guidance is. But basically, you've got your, your appointed person, emergency first aider, and then you've got your first aider work person who's qualified to that higher level, if you will. There is potentially a further higher level than that. Uh, for instance, we used to deliver uh, first, first aid response training to the United Arab Emirates military. Uh, the firefighters of the Air Force were taught first aid. And we actually did a satellite operation out there where we taught, I think we did about 80 firefighters where we trained them. And what that is, that's a four-day course. And the fourth day is basically unique to the uh, the environmental conditions of our business. So, for instance, in my case, we would be looking at the fourth day would be about how do you treat severe trauma? Because it'd be, it'd, be, it'd be a war, mm -hmm. it'd be a, a battle uh, theatre, if you will. So you'd be looking at... Uh, serious traumas, you'd be looking at burns, you'd be looking at amputations, stuff like that. You know, massive blood loss, how do you deal with that? And that's what that, that's for. To put that into, say, you're a chemical manufacturer, then you'd expect that fourth day, or the level, the higher level, should I say, would be unique to what you're actually doing. So if it's a, a chemical company, you'd be looking at uh, potential for burns, eye injuries, and things like that. And you would tailor your first aid delivery around that because that's what the, the, you know, the major risks are. Is there any other sort of training that is mandated or essential for businesses first, first aid yeah i mean if, if you lift the equipment for instance if you're using ladders and they should be inspected every six months uh so it means that you, you know somebody's competent needs to do that and that can be done in-house there are plenty of health and safety guidance documents that show you how you to inspect a ladder so you could do that in-house 
Yeah, so there are various things like, say, for instance, uh, mobile elevated platforms or scissor lifts or mupes. You have to have a uh, you have to have a license to operate them. So that training's a requirement. Uh, obviously, that's not sort of the training that we offer, but there are approved centres that deliver that training. Uh, forklift training as well. You know, there's a, there's a requirement that the, the guys driving forklifts are competent, and that's normally on a, a forklift truck license, as it's called. And it's every three years that we get refresher training on it. Okay, as the slogan says, we are a one-stop shop for compliance. How do sort of ISO standards tie in and all the other offerings that, offerings that, that our KMS offer? The way that ties in is with quality management, you've got contract law, you've got how you operate professionally. Environmental management, 14,001. Basically, you have to comply with legislation. If you're not complying with legislation, and this is where, again, we go back to the, the competence of the auditor, uh, if somebody's come to audit you in your industry sector, then they should have knowledge of our industry sector, so should know what type of legislation you know you have to comply with. And for instance, environment, if you're if you're cleaning, believe it or not, if you're cleaning one vehicle with a jet wash, by law you should have a consent to discharge license from the, the local water authority because that is trade effluent. It's, it's water that's been generated through a trade process that's going down the drains, and they'll come along. You have to comply with that. Uh, if you know you're open to prosecution. And that's something that not a lot of people are aware of. Uh, when it comes to 45,001 health and safety, again, you need to know what health and safety legislation is applicable to your business. And that helps you make sure that, you, you know, you, you, you identified the legislation, how it applies to you, and that you're complying with it as well. So it, it kind of keeps you safe from prosecution to an extent. We've got one client, actually, who they've just gone through 9, 14, 45, and 27 and yes, it's a large organisation and they work in, in a relatively high-risk, perceived high-risk industry. They've just received an €80,000 reduction per year on their insurance premiums because of having them standards. Wow. So, so the way I sort of see it as well is, is I, the big sort of foundation of ISO is continual improvement. Yes. Well, that's effectively what lean management is as well. Yeah. Continual improvement. Yeah. In a way. Mm -hmm. um, so they sort of complement each other's with ISO, you've got, well, in our systems anyway, we call them improvement reports yeah. or improvement register. And part of that is we're looking, and the ISO requires you to do this, is look at root causes. So it's root cause analysis. What container yeah. action can you put in place and how can you improve upon that mm -hmm. and make sure it doesn't happen again? A lot of the tools that you use during that process are lean tools. Yes. So that's where it kind of, obviously, there's, there's a bit of synergy there. And the way that we operate as well is, like I say, we, we offer value. So we do stuff that takes compliance, mm -hmm. but we do it in a way that and benefits your business as such. Yeah. Um, and it's looking at that continuous improvement and we give you those tools and techniques as well to be able to use those when we're not there. Um, and then obviously with trading as well, that ties in this requirements of, of standards that you have to have um, trading competency. So it's effectively yeah. making sure that your staff have got the adequate training or qualifications. Um, and then obviously the legislation side of things as well we were mm -hmm. sort of talking about earlier with health and safety first aid so probably is where a lot of our so most of the time when we sort of when we go to like networking events or whatever yeah. and we say well what do you do and we stand there for 10 minutes talking about all the different offerings that we have and yeah. just think why do you do so much <laughs> right. well that's the reason why and a lot of it yeah integrates so it might be they're all they are their own areas in on their own but they feed into one another yeah, yeah it, it, it's, it's a tricky one because you've got a lot of consultants that will specialise in quality management but won't touch health and safety. You've got consultants that will specialise in lean management but won't touch quality management. 
Uh, and, and what we tend to do is we, we're the one-stop compliance. Where that comes from, in a way, is that we can look at the way that you operate. We can look at the way you can make improvements to the business. And as you say, with, with 9001, a lot of 9001 consultants don't really understand lean, and a lot of lean consultants don't understand 9001. It's really it's a framework to standardize what you do. So you, you're dead right there. Like with uh, continuous improvement, for instance, something goes wrong. Nobody's perfect. We all make mistakes from time to time. But it's about learning from that mistake, finding out what caused it, and which is the root cause analysis. It's a bit like you're driving down the road and you got your, you know, your five-year-old grand, grandchild, in our case, or your own son in the back of the car. And they ask you a question and you tell them, and then they say, but why? And then you tell them something else. And then, but then it's why, isn't it? So there's a, there's a technique called the five whys, for instance. And, uh, and basically, by the time it comes to the fifth why, you either tell them the truth or you tell them to shut up. You know what I mean? It's basically, it's a way of getting that out of you. Yeah, persistence. Yeah, things like uh, some of the other things that you've got here, like uh, you're looking at five SODs, which is workplace organisation. Pokey-okey, it's not poking an egg. What that is, it's a Japanese term. It means error-proofing. So, for instance, the best error-proofing uh, analogy you've got is uh, years ago, people used to write letters and then they type envelopes and they could mix them up. Uh, you know, you've got envelopes now with a window in them, haven't you? So it's irrelevant. you got your address on your letter. It cannot go to the wrong person now. It's, it, it, you've, you've completely removed the, the chance of error from, from happening. So that's a great idea of a pokey But you can do that every day in business as well. Different sort of keys to use different tools means that you can use your own tool. You can't make a mistake. And it's about that level of, of managing your business, making sure that you take away the, 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 option, the opportunity for, for errors to happen. And that's how it kind of all ties together. Yeah. I suppose it is areas that we might identify when we're in a business that we can't support with. Do we have any additional support? Oh, yeah. Yeah. I mean, sometimes we get asked. I mean, we, we, we one stop for compliance. We cannot be experts in everything. You know, we've got a, a large pool of guys that we work with, people we work with, and we've got associate partners that we work with as well. So, for instance, if it's HR, we are not HR experts, but we know HR experts. And what we'll do is we've got agreements in place with these HR people that we know we vetted them. We know how good they are because of work with other people. We will only recommend people that we know are good and we vetted already as part of our onboarding process. So yeah, we, we can get that. We've had uh, instances in the past where we've had, you know, specialist things like say HR, there's been maybe uh, contract uh, issues where we've, we've sent in people we know to help the, the clients out. Other things that have been a little bit more specialist We've helped people uh, with product certification, for instance, that have been asked for a product declaration, for environmental product declaration. Uh, we were with a company years ago that invented a, uh, a plastic that had a biocide and it that killed MRSA, for instance. And we, we helped them achieve getting that product CE marked, uh, but we had to go out and use experts that we knew of that could do sort of fire resistance testing. We could do all the sampling, uh, things like that. So, yeah, we, 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 we like to say we're a one-stop shop because we want clients to come to us and ask us for advice and guidance and if we can do it we can always find somebody they can. <laughs>